0: Hey, I want to transition because we are doing something called Conversation Sunday, and last week we did it, uh, and we just I just figured we'd kind of do an addendum on top of that. We had so many questions kind of over the past couple times we've done this that I figured, hey, we'll spend a Sunday kind of answering through some of the questions that you've had that have kind of stacked up that we haven't been able to get around to, and the series that we've been in is, has been called Made for More, and it's been a lot about calling, so if you're a person you're like, I don't know what the purpose is for my life, uh, what my calling is, we are in a season right now for our church where we're just really, we've got really obsessed about saying hey how are we going to resource our church and figuring out what people are called to do and I think that's so exciting to, to seek that out and uniquely figure out hey how has God created me and what does that look like for my life and how I steward my life but we're gonna we're gonna jump in because one of the things I opened up in this series was saying hey you can ask questions about the series but you can also ask kind of any question you want about faith so we're gonna work through some questions this morning so hopefully that's okay with you um And I'll say this as well, is we have a number that we're gonna encourage you to text. And I'll say this, um, last week I encouraged everybody to like text questions in, but the little iPod touch I have, uh, was connected to the wrong Wi-Fi network, so I was like, it's not, nobody's texting any questions. Well, people did text questions, I just didn't get it, so err on pastor. So anyway, I mean it this time, if you ask questions, we will acknowledge them, see them, and we'll spend about 15, maybe 20 minutes at the end a- answering hopefully some of these spontaneous questions uh, to the best of our ability. So anyway, we're going to we're gonna start it off this morning. Uh, so yeah, the, the number's up on the screen, so text a question of that number. This isn't my personal number, so don't add it in there and like prank me, and you know, we're smarter than that, I said this last week too. Um so anyway, uh first question. We're starting it off with a bang this morning. Here we go. This was a question somebody asked. I like this one. Can a man and woman unmarried live right, holy, and pure before God under the same roof? Woo. Woo! <laughs> you know. Um I love this. Here's what I'll say. The reason we're doing this this morning is because we're supposed to have conversations as a church. Sometimes in church, we um, shy away from conversations. We shy away from hard topics. We shy away from the things that everyone's talking about and dealing with, and we act like they aren't a part of our world. The thing that I love about God is he's a true God. He's a real God, and he sees exactly right where we're at. The topics of today that sometimes scare people, they don't scare God. And and I think sometimes at the church, uh, we get in trouble by even having the conversation. So that's just kind of the heart a little bit this morning. And this is a great question, but once again, with every question, I th- sometimes think that there's questions behind the questions. And in the same way, there was a question that last week that was asked that kind of had a little bit of a similar approach, because I feel like sometimes when a question like this is asked, it's kind of like, how low can I go? Like, like what's what's the bottom of the barrel in the way that I can live where like I I can just make sure I get away with like I'm just kind of trudging along in my faith like doing the bottom bare minimum of like let me know like what's the bare like rather than experiencing the playground that is God's grace and the abundant life that He wants for us so I, I feel I feel like first and foremost it's it's willing I'm, I'm we're gonna we're gonna answer this but. I think it's so interesting because many times we focus so much on the do's and the don'ts that we forget about the fact that Jesus called us all to be witnesses. See, and when you're a witness on behalf of Jesus and other people see you in your life and you're bearing the name of Christ, you're like, I'm a Christian. I got Christian tattoos. I got this. I got that. But your life doesn't look like a faithful witness to Jesus. We all lose. We do because we're all called in, this, in into this thing together. So there's a little bit of a... We got to think and frame this in the idea of witness. We got to frame this in the idea of, actually, what is God calling us into when it looks like the abundant life? So, okay, let's back to this. Can a man, woman, unmarried live right, holy, pure before God under the same roof? That's a very, very loaded question. But I'll just say this: like, let's just answer it really, really literally. Like, the technicality, right? Can friends of the opposite sex live together? According to the biblical narrative, according to the boundaries that God gives us within the Bible, yes. There's, there's nothing that the Bible says th- that, that would be sinful for that to happen, right? But once again, we have to get into the technicality of it because here's the deal. The sexual ethics of Jesus, which is a massive topic that I just don't expect to answer and to discuss. And once again, this could be a topic and a sermon series for an, another day and, or in the future. But sex being defined biblically, being reserved as an intimate expression through the marital covenant. So that's kind of some of the boundaries that God gives within our sexuality, right? So for a man and woman of the opposite sex to live with one another, conventional wisdom as sexual beings needs to come into this, right? Don't do it. The Bible says flee from temptation. Because you just in my pastoral experience, right? Um, in my history and experience of counseling couples and using wisdom, um, I often think about this. This is the same wisdom we t- sometimes many times use with our children and our kids. Is like, is it a good idea for the teenage boy to stay late at his girlfriend's house when her parents aren't home? No. And when you become a believer or if you're older, does that mean you become exempt from your sexuality and your temptations? No. You see what I'm saying? So conventional wisdom, I'll just say this. Couples that live together before they get married, I've never met a couple that has successfully said, we didn't have sex. Conventional wisdom acknowledges the fact that we have emotions, we're sexual beings, and when we don't have good boundaries, we're going to give in to temptation. Wisdom is in the boundaries. We automatically are like, how does A get to Z? How about this question? How does A get to B, get to C, get to D, get to E, that gets you all the way to Z? that's the better question where are our boundaries what are we opening ourselves up to how are we using wisdom to be a faithful witness because if you're a person that's like i'm a christian and then your life doesn't look anything like it maybe you're oblivious to it but other people can see it see right through it and your witness is dying down you're like you guys are the people that go so hard about a sexual expression being within marriage but at the same time if your life doesn't reflect that people are like what what's what's the potency of that type of a faith right so we can't think we're people that live above wisdom, and history and experience has showed me I've never met one couple that did this successfully. Is it—is it, is it sinful to do it? No, but wisdom shows that when we don't have good boundaries and we don't couple our faith with wisdom, man, chances are we can easily, so easily fall into what God designed and does not advocate for in terms of sexuality, sexual expression, and what it means to flourish as a human being, okay? So that's Hopefully that answers the question. There's a lot there. So anyway, so moving on. Uh, Let's keep going here. Got some good ones. Okay, this is the next one. Are crosses or crucifixes idolatry? Is it okay to have them? Should we carry them around with us and have them at home? Is it frowned upon by God to perform rituals in the church like Catholics do? Or is all other religions wrong in not doing it? Really, this is a question about liturgy and symbols, liturgical practices, symbolic practices that we do kind of within church. And I'll just say this, talking about the cross and the crucifix, uh, the cross is basically a symbol that represents an empty cross, right? A crucifix typically is something that represents where Jesus is represented on the cross, right? Uh, Preference theologically, I prefer the cross just because the empty cross means the empty grave and the empty grave means christianity meaning this is christianity is built on an empty grave and an empty tomb if you don't believe jesus rose then there's no point in being a christian because this guy's mad a madman according to you but if this guy actually did what he said he did once again this isn't blind faith uh we have every reason to probably lean into the fact that this guy is lord and has some things to say about how to live life and how to live it to the fullest how to flourish once again as a human being so um The question really behind the question then becomes, what liturgical practices did Jesus command, right? Because here's the deal. I've I've heard people die on these types of hills. It's like, you don't have a cross at your church, visually. I'm leaving, right? It's like, okay, help me understand where that's a requirement. Help me understand how that that represents being faithful to God and his promises, right? Because what that is is a threat against you're not being faithful to God, right? Here's, here's what the liturgical commands that God actually gave within the Scripture. Two, two big ones. Two big ones. One of them, baptize. Part of the Great Commission. Baptize people. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's one of the liturgical core commands within the Scripture, right? The second one would be communion. Uh, to, to reflect upon Jesus, his body, and his blood, and what he's done for us. Those are two key liturgical commands that the church today we practice because Jesus told us to and we find benefit when somebody gets upon the church celebrates together it's almost like a wedding right where somebody's like my life is dead I'm dying to Jesus and I'm coming out uh, up out of the waters as a new person and I'm declaring it man baptism Sundays are some of my favorite Sundays because they're powerful It's one of the strongest sermons that can be preached. I get up here after people get baptized, and it just doesn't even hold a candle. Because people with their lives just proclaim one of the most powerful sermons with what they were doing. So there's so much benefit in that. And then communion, right? The, 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 this, this representation, we do this once a month as a church, liturgically, that's kind of what we do it we always have communion available every single week but we do it, we, we practice it and we encourage it from the platform once a month because we just find, not only did Jesus command it, but we find benefit in the liturgical reflection of saying, Jesus died his body, right? In the same way we're called to participate and die with him, our life is not our own and then the blood of Jesus, which represents universal grace for those who receive it, meaning this, you and I we, we can't be exclusive people, and the blood of Jesus reminds us. When we're judgmental Christians that literally isolate ourselves from other people, and we take communion, it's just, what's the point? When we're selfish and we don't die to ourselves, what's the point? See, liturgy can become so empty, and we're constantly trying to remind ourselves of why we do what we do, but those are the two main commands that Jesus gave us to practice liturgically, right? Um, and the rest of it is really just... Uh, decorative preference right preference it's okay it doesn't make one better than the other how many crosses we have displayed on the walls at our church does not dictate whether we're better than somebody or not better or less or more faithful to Jesus because it goes back to the question of what makes a person righteous up on the screen it's going to help us out with that what makes us righteous well Romans tells us faith alone faith alone what gets you in the door? Faith. How you dress when you come to church, how you act, the way that you pray. No. Faith alone. Faith is powerful. I feel like there's been a lot of this, like, I'm just going off the rails. Right, I'm not going off the rails. I'm going off, off cuff here. I think there's a lot of conversations today about cheap grace. Here, I don't know, understand how you make grace cheap, first off, because grace is so profound beyond human comprehension. I don't understand how you make God's grace cheap, Right? I'll say this, though. A lot of people make faith cheap because we, 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 like, erase this verse of, like, faith is what gets you in. Too many of us today make it faith cheap. We forget that actually Jesus receives us, covers us, blesses us, empowers us to be a force to be reckoned with as imperfect people when we say, I'm placing my faith in you, Jesus, because it's about what you've done, not what I can do to earn righteousness. See, faith alone Cheap faith is my concern in the church today when we've beca- created all these preferenced restrictions around what it means to be faithful to Jesus and what actually grants us the new identity of what Jesus has proclaimed over us. It's faith. Faith is what makes us righteous. Faith alone. Not f- faith plus works. Faith plus Certain behaviors, faith plus a, ch- a check sheet of how much I attend church. No, faith alone. Faith alone. And then lastly, as it says up on the screen, um, the Holy Spirit is who empowers us. The Holy Spirit's the one who empowers the church, as it is, is displayed in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He's the one. See, he has relationship that helps renovate us helps us grow helps speak and have relationship with god himself see this is a relational dynamic that we have with god we can so easily transition it into something religious about how many crosses or crucifixes we need to have where they're displayed in our homes blah 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 blah, external 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 god cares about your heart more than anything where is your heart has your heart become hard to the fact that he loves you even though you're a mess that he accepts you right where you're at, even though your life doesn't look anything like him. He affirms and sees you right where you're at, and then he empowers you with his Holy Spirit to bring you to deeper and better places in what this journey of faith looks like in terms of human flourishing. Amen? All right, we're going to keep moving on. Hopefully that answers the question. Maybe it didn't. Maybe you're like, you didn't even answer it. Whatever, moving on. You can ask a spontaneous question and confront me then. Okay, cool. Uh Great. Uh, Next question. Ooh, this is kind of a, I like this one because it's kind of like a a modern spin on some of the the practices of the church, right? When the New Testament talks about laying on hands for healing, is that a type of ancient healing like acupressure or reflexology? You might be like, that's funny. (laughs) Well, here's the deal. If you're a person that's not familiar with church, laying on of hands, if somebody's like, we're going to lay hands on somebody, guess what? People are going to be like, that's weird. What is that? You know what, this is why when we we worship now at the beginning, I'm like, we gotta, at the beginning before we sing songs together, unless you're like a person in culture, the only reference you have to corporate singing is like, take me out to the ball game in the seventh inning stretch, right? So if you're a non-church person, you come together corporately, singing is really weird to people. So at the beginning we, we try to do a good job of like helping people understand if you're new here, you're exploring your faith journey, you've never been a part of a church before. What we're about to do, here's what we're about to do. It's gonna be a little bit weird for you, but let's bring a little bit of context into our corporate singing. Because in our culture, corporate singing, unless you've been in church, is completely foreign. But this is so true about all of our Christianese. Laying on of hands, or like, heck you pressure reflexology. <laughs> it's like that's the only reference point some people have. If you've never grown up in the church. So let's define that. Let's help ourselves understand, and I think that's a really, really valid question. So let's look at this kind of biblically up on the screen. The laying on of hands. Here's, here's in the Bible what, what the laying on of hands represents, right? Agreement and anointing and commissioning for blessing and leadership. This is what, it, this, is what this is what laying on of hands uh, represented many times. So we think about, if, if you're familiar with the biblical narrative, the transition between you know, the golden boy, Moses, and Joshua. There's a transition of leadership, which Moses anointed Joshua, right? There was this commissioning for new leadership. There was this anointing and this blessing, right? Uh, Jesus and his recipients uh, would many times do this um, as he laid hands on people and healed people. Uh, but the mind-blowing thing also, FYI, is uh, Jesus also healed people without even ever laying hands on people too. It's pretty pretty powerful, right? Worth noting, too, because we can get so obsessed with how we do things, the form of how we do things. Once again, we, get, we forget about the heart and the heart of God. We forget about the needs of another person. And then lastly, in the early church, right, um, we see this happening many times for those who are rec- receiving and recipients of blessing and leadership. So the, the kind of the answer to this is um, that's what it represents, and once again, it's not form-specific, When we get dogmatic in how we do things, um, sometimes we get so caught up in the form, once again, we can so easily miss the need right in front of us that a breathing human being has a need. um, And we get so form-specific that it's like we don't care about the need. We don't do things with God and what God wants to do. We do things for God, and we're like, well, this is how I'm supposed to do it, so I do it. But we see throughout the scripture there's a variety of ways you can – different things and there's a variety of ways and what what was represented when people laid their hands on other people i like that as a practice when we have a baby dedication we had one last week it's like hey as a church family let's extend our hands forward as a sign of agreement right so i think that there's power when we do things physically that connect with the spiritual side of what god is commissioning us to do as his followers and his people okay moving on all right here's the, here's the next one I went through these. Last week, we got through like two questions. It was awesome. Um, okay, if I silently pray for strangers walking down the road to have the right people placed in their lives to lead them to God, does God acknowledge that if and when they invite Jesus into their lives? You know, it's like, hey, like, maybe I don't have a relationship with this person. It's like, so I'm praying for that person to have the right relationship or the people in their life to help surround them and maybe be a witness, a powerful witness of God's grace and what he has. He sees the vision he has for your life, maybe that you don't see within yourself uh, what that looks like disconnected from him. So uh, the answer to the question. Yes, uh, God acknowledges our prayers, but the Great Commission, as we know, and the Great Commission is a team or a body effort, the mission that Jesus has sent us on to be disciple makers uh, who make disciples wherever we are, the great commission of the church um, that's a thats a group effort and I like that because this, this question kind of alludes a little bit to that is that it's not always going to be all about us saving the world we need one another and we can so easily go rogue and having a God complex and saying it's about me, my vision, my mission and we're going to do this but that's why the church is diverse because we are a body we need one another uh, literally I'm like Without Callie preaching up here lately, just because she's sick and pregnant and all this stuff, I'm like, people are sick and tired of hearing Pastor T.D. for like 12 weeks straight on the pulpit. I'm just aware of that. Because when I preach, it's up here more, right? Everybody knows that. And they're like, I don't know if that's my flavor. When Callie preaches, she's like preaching here. Both are needed, but a diversity is needed on the platform. So I'm like, okay, who's in our preaching bullpen? How can we get more voices up here? Because I know if it's going to just be the Pastor T.D. show, our church is going to dwindle, right? Because I'm one person with one perspective, with one gift mix, who's uniquely created, who needs to surround himself with other leadership, other voices, and other people that are gifted in those areas. That's how we're going to thrive. That's how we're going to reach more of a variety of people. Because if it's all based on me, people are like, this guy dresses funny and talks kind of weird and always talks about things that go over my head, right? I recognize that. That's a, that's a weak spot for me. But for some people, they're like, I'm vibing with that. But it, once again, it's it's... It's got to be within our scope and our reality of understanding. It can't just be about us. See, the body of Christ, we are way more powerful when we are diverse and acknowledge, affirm, and empower one another's gifts and get everybody on the right seat on the bus because it's going to just show up. We're going to show up and, and, and we're going to be Jesus' beautiful body, right, that is represented in our city and our community and beyond. But let's kind of – let's go to Hebrews 6.10 as kind of a scripture I think that's relevant to this question. Went off on a tangent, like always. Uh, Hebrews 6.10 says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. So, once again, God acknowledges even the small things, even the ones where it's like, well, I only can contribute this much in this situation. And it's going to play into the bigger picture. And God is going to affirm that. And God is going to celebrate that. You know, but how specifically and what that looks like and how he's going to acknowledge that, we don't know yet never been on the other side of, of god's judgment you know and i don't know what that specifically looks like we understand that there's going to be rewards we understand in a general sense that it's going to be glorious right but the specifics of that we don't know yet so in the meantime we're going to do the best that we can and and we're going to knowing that when we do our best that's going to be enough for god but not also using that as a scapegoat to be the person that like hides in their basement and just prays for people as they walk by right no no god's called us to go He's called us to be sent ones, right? He's called us on the Great Commission that says outside of the comfort zones, outside of the church walls. That's where the mission is at because that's where the people are at. Amen? Okay. Uh, we don't know. And lastly, in my notes here, God's number one mission in calling for you, once again, is to be a disciple maker. That's his number one calling for you. So it's great It's great to pray. It's great to acknowledge other people. It's great to do things for God. But first and foremost, God has called us to be disciples who make disciples wherever we are. Wherever there's people, there's potential. Um, so as a church, that's what we're constantly thinking about. How can we empower you to be a disciple maker? Well, what's a disciple maker? What's a disciple? Um, we'll keep pressing in. Keep leaning in because our church is built around this idea of you fulfilling that primary calling in your life. And then not only that, the unique calling of what God has called you to specifically so those two things go hand in hand all right looking at the time here okay we got like technically got about 20 minutes i'm gonna go i'm gonna give us 15 for the spontaneous let's keep going okay here's a here's next question what is the difference between tithe and first fruits so tithe if you're not familiar with the idea of tithe tithe is is this uh biblical idea of as a church um, we give 10% of our income as people, right? Money becomes this practical conversation uh, that it's like, hey, don't, give, don't get up in my practical life, Pastor. Like, that's my money, right? There's certain things where like, okay, yeah, like speak in my life, encourage me. But what you're, you're telling me to grow, right? There's things that we start like, kind of like, no, you're not, I don't want to do that. Well, it's like, of course you don't want to do that because you're not meant for that. We're, we're selfish people. When we get into God's kingdom, it becomes less about us. So it's going to be growing pains. It's going to be hard. But when we step into the things that are hard, we step out in faith, we receive blessing on the other side. So this question is con- confronting kind of this idea of, there's this idea of first fruits, uh, of, 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 of giving what's first and then the tithe. Well, the, the answer to this question in terms of being faithful to God, tithe and first fruits, they're, they're the same thing. When you give of your tithe, the expectation is you give of your first, not your last. Like, we don't give God uh, leftovers, but we literally, like, our budget at our household, it's like the first thing on our line item of budget is the 10% out of our entire budget um, in which we give to God. Callie and I personally have chosen to say uh, that is not after taxes, that is before taxes. So before taxes, let's look at our salary, let's break it down into 12 months, let's take 10% of that number, and that's the first thing in our budget. Because we know that everything else in our budget literally will be trickled down with the blessings of God simply because of our obedience by saying, first and foremost, we're giving of this. We're giving of our 10%. And once again, this isn't something that the church wants from you. This is just something that the church wants for you. Because here's what I know. God has always – people are like, I don't know how you're a pastor, you guys. I don't, know, I don't know how you deal with the fact that, like, if the church dies, so goes away with your job and your salary. I don't know either. I'm crazy. I get it. Like, it's not stable. It freaks me out sometimes. But here's what I will say. We've been faithful to tithe when Callie and I got married, and we've committed to that ever since, and God has always provided with us in immense ways. This is beautiful. I don't get it either. On a human level, I don't, and that's the thing. It doesn't make sense. You're asking me to give 10% of my income to the church? Well, hopefully you find benefit into the church and what the church is doing. Hopefully it's not just like, yeah, that pays for Pastor's Ferrari, right? It's like, no, no, no. Like, hopefully... What we do is beneficial. Hopefully you're seeing benefits in the ways and the direction that we're moving because we want to be a force to be reckoned with in this community to make this community look more and more like heaven. And and, and here's what I know. We'll continue to do that, but if we're capped with resources, it's going to be harder and harder to do that. It's going to be harder and harder to pull off events. It's going to be harder and harder. We want to make massive investments, and sometimes the potential of that gets cut off by the practicalities such as finances. Does that mean God's not going to accomplish what he needs to accomplish? No, he will, but don't miss out on the blessing personally. Don't don't miss that. And, and this is why we, we do the three-month tide challenge. So this is a shameless plug, right? Um, we do a three-month tide challenge. Because here's the deal. I understand if you're not like a church person or you're like, oh, money, that's a weird conversation in church. Like, this is kind of our proof for that. It's just like, hey, to, to prove that this isn't about us, this is a money-back guarantee. Three-month tide challenge. Fill this thing out. Do it. If at the end of three months you're like, God hasn't been faithful to me, we'll give you your money back. See, because this isn't about us. Like, we really want you to see god's blessings we really want god to transcend into your life in the practicals because that's the type of god he is he came from heaven to earth as a man submitted to the process incarnationally came here's what i believe about you even when it comes to your finances god wants to incarnate himself and prove himself to be true even in the practicals of your life Callie and i as we've been faithful to this have received the blessing of, of seeing what god can do and it hasn't just been monetary it hasn't just been money We've seen God's blessings pour out in so many other ways where we could just feel the faithfulness of God over us and our family. But this is tough. So this is, we're giving you some space. We're saying, hey, no shame in the game. We understand it's tough. But fill this out. Do it for three months. See what happens. And if you don't feel like God's been faithful, no worries. We'll give you your money back. We will. I promise. We will. And don't, it's not one of those things, well, that's going to be kind of weird. Like, don't. Like, I'm just saying, like, test the Lord. And here's what I know God's going to do. He's going to be faithful we're willing to test God is to show himself to be faithful. So if this is one, maybe this is a good next step for you this morning. You're like, ooh, that seems kind of, maybe God is. It's like, yeah, if you haven't done that yet, like, I challenge you. And here's the other thing, too. People say, well, the, you know, tithing is an Old Testament principle. You're correct. Because in the New Testament, 10% became the floor rather than the ceiling. The early church, this was an assumption. And then they were sharing everything they had to make sure the church would survive. So they were going above and beyond. So this is my thing. This is kind of a baby step. If you're not doing it, do it. I challenge you. And then be radically generous beyond that because we don't get to take this stuff with us when we die. And in the meantime, we want to invest ourselves and our lives to things that do not rot away, but things that transfer into the life to come. Amen? That's the last I'm going to talk about for finances for like the next three months. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, uh, okay, here we go. Let's uh, transition into spontaneous questions. So I saw, hey, I saw it lighting up. I got some stuff here, so we'll we'll do. Um, oops. Okay, I gotta gotta look at this. I'll say this to um, last last week when the this thing finally connected to the right internet. Somebody asked, I just want to acknowledge these questions before we kind of move on. Somebody asked, what does the Bible say about suicide? Um, great question. The person said, who are the two witnesses God is talking about? Um, I think that could be in reference to a lot. So if you ask that question, do me a favor and ask more specifically kind of what maybe what verse you're, you're referencing. But in terms of suicide, I'll just be outright and just say it. Um, that can't be answered really succinctly. And, and once again, this has been a question that's come up Many times when we've done this, so I just want to say this as a pastor: we're gonna we're gonna have a conversation about this. I think suicide, mental health, um, s- s- emotional maturity, some of these topics that it, it's we don't talk about. I want I plan on having a message series addressing these types of things because once again, you can be a person that just ignores it and acts like it's not happening, but people are having to face these issues alone because the church has been like, well, we're just gonna pray it away. It's like no, your brain's an organ, and just like anything else, when you deplete it. Stuff happens, and God cares and cares about your wholeness as a human being. So rather than being the church that, once again, just only completely relies on faith and acting like we aren't human beings, broken, imperfect, we're going to acknowledge that and find how ways that you can find healing within that. So in the short term, here's what I want to say. You're not alone. You're not alone. And if people have made you feel alone, that's unfortunate, but we are committed to be a community where we're going to acknowledge that you aren't alone, and we're going to process through that And work this through as a family and find healing on the other side. Amen? Okay. Let me see what we got here. I'll go from bottom up. Um, Somebody asked, why are we not able to raise the dead anymore? Um, My question back to that is, apparently you've never raised the dead. (laughs) Have I? No. Have I known other people in relationship who have? Yes. Yes, I have. It's an interesting dynamic, and I think we can kind of uh, maybe generalize kind of our experiences as a nation and as a people. And I'll just say this. Um, as a nation, we function very, very uh, logically and systematically. And I'm just saying this right now. because If you've ever been on a, a mission strip, sometimes you see some wild things of what God does, how God heals people. Legs growing back full length, right? animals being resurrected from the dead i've seen that i've been on a mission trip to china where i saw that like there's there's experiences that we isolate to our own country and our own experiences and here's here's the deal each and every country i believe this each and every culture has their own hills that they got to kind of climb over so why do we see more of that overseas and not in the united states there's there's many things that we can kind of ponder based on this but i think the issue of this question is uh why do we have faith not to believe we can raise the dead anymore what would it look like if we had that faith? What would the church look like if we exercised that faith? We came at our prayers. We swung the bat with that type of a confidence. Um, so that for, if you're new this morning, you're like, raising the dead? This is insane. Um, yeah, it is insane. But once again, the resurrection of Jesus is built upon that. So if you're, if you're shaky about that, here's what I would encourage you to do. Do some research about the resurrection of Jesus and the c- circumstantial evidence surrounding that. And what you'll be overwhelmed with is reliable resources that point to eyewitnesses that said that this guy actually did raise from the dead. People had conversations, saw him. There's, I mean, if we put this into a court today, it, the evidence is so overwhelming of understanding the resurrection of Jesus being a, fa- a true event. And that's what the Christianity is based upon. Because you take away the resurrection, you take away everything. may maybe a person this morning It's like, you need to figure out the resurrection. Well, the beautiful thing about the resurrection is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, lives within us. Meaning this, when we pray for people, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do greater things than Jesus did. Meaning this, Jesus healed. Jesus rose people from the dead. Jesus did all these crazy things. But here's the thing, you could also be the crazy person that's like, I just want to see healing. I pray for healing. I pray for healing. And you forget the fact that Jesus wants to do even a deeper work than our physical healing called spiritual healing. So when you go so far on the side of all I want to see is healing, you forget to acknowledge the thing that Jesus cared about deeper, which once again is the heart sometimes jesus shows us his faithfulness and his amazing greatness of his character when we pray for somebody and they get healed but that is not the end because guess what lazarus was raised and then one day guess what he died and didn't come back to life the same goes for any of us you'll get healed but only temporarily because someday you're gonna die jesus ain't gonna raise you raise you raise you raise you you gotta die deal with death the final death and that's what jesus came to do and die for us so in the meantime we get sprinkled in all these blessings where we see God's heavenly power come. But the issue is on our side. Are we being faithful? Are we approaching things with that type of faith? Do we believe with that type of fervor? Man, see, I, I just truly believe this. The issue many times can be with us. What would that look like? What would that look like? I oftentimes ponder that. God often challenges that. I'm a logical guy. so God often is challenging me this in this way many times. What faith do I bring when, when we're praying for somebody in the hospital? What faith do I bring on Thursday nights when we come as a worship team and somebody's got an issue or a problem? I'll say this. is God's been really faithful over these past couple months. Callie and I have faced a lot of personal hardships. I'll say that. But I'll say this. God's been really faithful in the times where we, we've prayed. God has been so faithful to do miraculous things that point to his miraculous power, the same type of power of what it looks like to raise somebody from the dead. He's powerful enough to do it is that his end game no because it's bigger than that but in the meantime let's have the faith to believe amen okay uh great this kind of answered a little bit somebody else asked another question concerning suicide suicide is a big deal right now how can we as christians better minister uh to the hopeless um great question i love the posture of that question and I'll say this is, yeah, we want to we wanna do it. And, and, and I'll just be honest. I want to do it more thoughtfully than spontaneously because it's a conversation that, that we need to ha- have that needs to be very thought through. And I just would hate for somebody to take away something that's not thought through and robust in the way that we're going to approach it because it's such a sensitive conversation because we're talking about other breathing, living human beings that are suffering in the midst of their mental health and, and situations that sometimes we just want to pray away or ignore. These types of issues remind us that the world's not the way it should be. So there's many times as Christians we want to use God to almost block God from getting in. We want to ignore the pain deep down that we're experiencing as suffering human beings in certain seasons and not actually acknowledge that that's where God wants to go. He wants to go so deep. And we buffer many times ourselves of saying, oh, we'll just pray for that and never let it go any deeper than that. See, God wants to bring profound healing in every aspect Capacity as human beings, what it looks like to be a human being. Okay, looks like, so we're putting a comma on that. Uh, okay, we got one, I'm going to do the tattoo one first. Is it sinful to get tattoos? Is having tattoos a bad witness to others? It's a great question. Um, a lot of people uh, who are against tattoos, I'll say this, is... Uh, quote a lot of verses out of the Old Covenant, uh, the first, you know, two-thirds of the Bible, a covenant that no longer are we under, uh, because we are under a new covenant of God's grace. Um, And the New Testament doesn't specifically uh, speak of anything when it comes to tattoos, because tattoos back in the day were acknowledged uh, because they represented people that were... um it was a mark, much like the mark of Christians or, or the Israelites with circumcision, a mark of a tattoo back in the day, like their mark represented pagan nations, people that worshiped other gods, right? So it's a little bit interesting in the Old Covenant. In the New Covenant, obviously, there's a lot more freedom, but I'll say this. If you're a person who's, like, underage, uh, first and foremost, like, y- you follow the laws. Like, we submit under the laws unless they threaten our worship of God, Right? so first and foremost we want to be faithful citizens to the law and then second also if your person and your parents are like you shouldn't get one you honor your father and mother like you do that like you respect them you respect their wishes within their household uh, but i'll also say this okay tattoos are they bad uh no I, I honestly think tattoos create a great conversation starter which is the norm in our culture once again i think it creates an opportunity does that mean uh, go out and get one do i have tattoos no I'm a person who doesn't have tattoos, It doesn't believe that they're bad, right? Um, some of that is a conscience decision because of my family. Um, uh, but does that keep me from ever wanting or getting one someday? No, not necessarily. So if you're a person with tattoos in the room and you're like feeling guilty about it, once again, that's, don't feel guilty. Stop feeling guilty about it. Because that's not what faithfulness looks like in terms of you. Once again, faith is what gets you in and being led by the Spirit which takes you on this journey of relationship. So many times we want to judge based on external i think for tattoos it creates an awesome conversation starter with other people of explaining jesus to them right creates an opportunity for witness we wouldn't otherwise have so is this something completely and explicitly prohibited in the scriptures no so if you're a person you're like i think tattoos are cool i like artwork uh that's awesome right and it creates conversation maybe to introduce somebody else to jesus so once again this isn't the That's my spontaneous answer for you So I just want to say this If you're a person with tattoos I don't want you leaving Feeling like you're being judged Because that's that's not You shouldn't Because God's grace is bigger than that And the the other thing is too Is I really believe this Tattoos many times create As an expression of artwork A way to have a conversation starter And an opportunity for witness As Jesus has called us To be witnesses But I'll say this Don't get a bunch of tattoos If you're not going to live it out too With scriptures on them And so on and so forth don't be that guy either don't let the tattoos dictate like that's good my heart's good no 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 jesus cares more about the inside so the external stuff that's great but like figure this out and then like if you have some stuff that's complimenting that or if you have some stuff that you're like well i'm not really proud of some of the stuff No, like that's a conversation about your testimony your journey your life that god wants to use he's not going to isolate those things from your life he actually wants to use those and use those things very very powerfully okay we got four minutes. Um, I want to end on, Ty, I'm going to end on, because I think this kind of goes along with that. There's The last question in the notes, I think, I want to kind of end on this. Why do we celebrate Jesus' birthday in late December? Yeah, there we go. There's a question somebody asked, and I think we'll end on this. Why do we celebrate Jesus' birthday late December? The culture and weather in Bethlehem during that time would have been cold and rainy, and the Bible states the shepherds were living out of doors and in their fields, uh the night of the birth so if it's more important the day of your death and birth that's a reference to scripture how do we really know how old jesus was at death why celebrate december 25th okay well first let's talk about jesus's age and then we'll get into kind of what i was thinking about um next slide jesus's age um yeah so luke 323 kind of clues us in says now jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry he was the son so uh so it was thought of joseph the son of eli Okay, so, and then we know based on, uh, from Jesus' baptism to his ascension when he left a part of the earth and powered his church, about three and a half years scholars. So, when we say like Jesus is around 33, right, that age, that's why we get that number. We know 30 in the Gospel of Luke, and then scholars have done their math of figuring out, okay, how long was this time? Then we have Jesus' approximate age. But, okay, Christmas on December 25th, right. Um, If you've done any kind of research on this, you know that December 25th uh, is typically uh, not when Jesus was actually born. Uh, Many scholars point to this rather than probably around the time of his conception rather than his birth, right? So why do we celebrate it on December 25th? Well, it's pretty beautiful because actually uh, there was a lot of Roman pagan festivals that happened in late December. And as the church, the church decided, hey, rather than distracting people from things that we feel like are going to push their life in the wrong direction, we're going to celebrate and we're going to redeem this time by celebrating Jesus' birth, the incarnation, the difference of the fact that, that the God that we worship chose to came to be with his people, and it's going to redeem this pagan week that was cultured during the calendar. So it's pretty beautiful to know that the reason we celebrate Christi- uh, Christmas when we do isn't like this, like, we've got to be accurate on the calendar of Jesus' birth. But it came out of a posture of saying, we want to redeem something in culture. People are headed in this direction, so we want to push them in the opposite direction. And one of the helpful tools that I've used kind of throughout my life in ministry is the three R's. And it'll be up on the next slide. It's this idea of receive, reject, redeem. we got to, when it comes to culture, when it comes to things happening in our culture, we have to land on one of these. We can either absolutely receive it, like this is good, this is, like Jesus tells us to do it, like, Outright, like, okay, then we receive that because we know that that's what it looks like to be faithful to the Lord, right? We can reject it. There's certain things we have to outright reject, right? Like, Christian hatred is not a thing, right? Like, you can't be a lover of God and people and hate people. So, Christian hatred is an idea that we have to reject. So, hate groups that are like, we're Christians, you just outright reject it. You're like, well, I know that's completely against the greatest commandment Jesus gave us. The new command that tells us that we laid out our lives for other people, right? We love people in the way that he loved. And he loved and displayed love on the cross by doing it sacrificially, right? So, it's so funny. I, so many times people, uh, I got something in my head. Okay, I'm going to say it. Um, there's just a lot going on like on social media where people are just like, you can't be a Christian and hate people. And people are constantly trying to find the butt. But, 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 we got to judge people. But, 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 that's the point. In your human capacity, you don't have the capacity to love like Jesus did. So get to know Jesus. So he gives you the grace and strength to love people that you don't have the capacity to love. Try following the greatest command on your own human strength. And you're going to fail, fail, fail. You're going to butt, 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 judge, judge, judge. But you need God's strength to do it. Because in our human capacity, we are inwardly and naturally selfish. The kingdom of me is the kingdom that's trying to pull us away from the kingdom of God, which is about other people, right? Okay, there we go. There's pastor's tangent. Uh, and then lastly, redeem. There's things that we can redeem. I'll put a picture up here because I think it's sobering for us to remember uh, kind of where we've come from as the church in terms of way people thought about certain things in our culture. I mean, this is, this is 50, 60, I think, years ago. Rock and roll is the devil's music. Beware. The hypnotic voodoo rhythm, a reckless dance down the devil's road of sin and self-destruction, leading youth to eternal damnation in the fiery depths of hell. If this was true today, you would have walked in and thought we were doing voodoo right, right off the bat, right? View, voodoo, devil stomping music, you know what I'm saying? I say this and I bring this to our attention because many times we we don't sober to the realities that methods change within the church of how we are trying to reach and push people in the right spiritual direction. Every time somebody walks into our church, we are taking a risk of being like Jesus. If we have spiritual seekers disconnected from God walk into our church and are like, you know what? That was a really judgmental experience that I I didn't feel God. They're going to move on and go seek spirituality somewhere else. This is risky business, you guys. So many times, this is, this is the thing, is this is where we've come from. And some guy had to say, I don't believe strumming a guitar is demonic, and had to fight for that to the place now in culture where it's received. Now, we have some niche groups that are like, we're not going to do that and have this belief set, but for the majority, does that mean that we have compromised? I don't believe so in terms of our faithfulness to Jesus. And I say this and I end on this because redeem gets defined so differently in different cultures and progression of us as humanities and how we express the culture. But there's a greater culture, there's a greater political system than the earthly ones that we see right in front of us today. It's the culture of God's kingdom. It's the politics of his government, right, that leads us it helps us make decisions in terms of what witnessing and pushing people in the right di- direction towards their spirituality. So there might be some things that you're kind of uncomfortable with in what the church expresses today, but I just I just I display this as a sober reminder is we don't have everything figured out and be be consistent with it. Because if 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 you're not on board with this, then it, many times you're going to have to filter through some of those other decisions that are kind of cultural and understanding what do we receive, what do we reject? What do we redeem? And I'll say this, the history of the church has shown many times again, time and time again, where people have had to die on the redeem hill. And they've had to take a lot of arrows and a lot of judgment, a lot of criticism from other Christians. That's unfortunate. But that's how you pioneer things, and that's how you change the world. That's how you advocate for a mission in a culture of 2019 where the methods are going to look a lot different. But the mission stays the same. We are called to be disciples who make disciples wherever we are, and we are masterpiece witnesses in the midst of that. It's going to look different for everybody. But if you want to do something important in this life, you're going to have people that are going to get in the way and try to tell you that's, that's wrong. Be who God's called you to be. Be faithful. Know the scriptures. Know his voice. and Be faithful to what he's calling you to do. Amen?